Welcome to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. This is the Real Estate Players Profile. It is a one-on-one conversation that I have once a week with someone in the South Florida real estate industry. Somebody who's going to offer some insight for you, the listener, to help you get a better grasp as to um, what's going on in the marketplace. Could be educational, could be timely, uh, could possibly give you some trend ideas. So who am I going to who am I having a conversation with this particular week? gentleman named Douglas Jones. He goes by Doug. He's a managing partner and one of the founders of an insurance agency called JAG Insurance Group based out of Coral Gables. And what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the do's and don'ts of actually purchasing insurance. When do you need it? Why do you need it? Um, uh, how much is enough coverage? What does it cost? How much is the, are the commissions? Uh, how do insurance uh, people get paid? So we kind of cut through a lot of the mystique and help you to, as well as me, to understand exactly what the insurance game is and why are we doing it. Well, insurance is one of the top three expenditures that many investors have when they go ahead and they buy real estate down here in South Florida. This is not like investing in other parts of the United States where insurance is just a, a secondary thought. Down here, because of uh, gl- uh, rising sea levels, climate change, hurricanes, all these other things, insurance costs are pretty substantial. One of the things we're going to discuss in this podcast is um, all of these people who are suddenly going to single-family houses who are leaving the vertical situation they're in, whether it's uh, it's a condo tower or a residential rental tower, not suddenly they're moving into their own homes. Uh, what kind of sticker shock are they going to face as the insurance bills come rolling down the pike? So it's going to be a fascinating conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it. Insurance doesn't sound like it would be fun, but an interesting, but actually this conversation goes by pretty fast. Um, so I want to, before we get started, I want to tell you, if you're not yet a subscriber to the Count of Vultures podcast, I'd encourage you to do so wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what we're doing, please go ahead and give us a rating as well as leave us a comment. By doing that, what it's going to do is it's going to help to propel us to get our message out and ultimately accomplish our mission, which is trying to bring some straight talk to an overhyped real estate market. And then finally, if you have a comment for me uh, in particular, if you want to ask a question, make a comment, compliment, uh, criticize, want to hear from you and any comments that we receive, we go ahead and we discuss them during our reporters roundtable. It's called the Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable. That goes on every Wednesday. And then also, too, if you like what we're doing, uh, be sure to check out the Monday podcast. Monday podcast is a deep dive into a condo market. We call it a condo market analysis. So so just to repeat, on Mondays, I do an analysis of a condo market. On Wednesdays, we do a reporter's roundtable. We bring together current and former journalists, talk about some of the biggest headlines that occurred within the last week. And then on Fridays, I do these real estate player profiles. So it's quite a bit of information we're putting out there. But, um, you know, the idea is to try, try to bring straight talk to the overall marketplace. So... All that being said, I want you to fasten the seatbelt. I want you to lean back and get ready to um, learn and laugh all about insurance and how to buy it and what to buy down in Miami when you have real estate. Are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo? Are you searching in the markets of greater downtown Miami, Miami Beach north to Sunny Isles Beach, Hollywood north to Fort Lauderdale, or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condo Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condo Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker at Condo Vultures Realty, please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. For this particular real estate player's profile, this is something I do every Friday. I do a one-on-one conversation with somebody in the South Florida real estate market who has some interesting insight that can share with you, the audience. 
Who's our audience? Well, we're basically talking to the real estate world, whether you're a real estate professional, like a realtor, you're a developer, you're a lender, maybe you're an investor, maybe you're somebody who's thinking about investing. So we try to tap into some of the knowledge uh, that's on the ground down here in South Florida. So what are we talking about this week? We're talking about insurance. Yes, insurance. I know. Don't stop. Do not turn off the podcast. I promise you we're going to make this interesting. Uh, gentleman I got on, is uh, he's got some personalities. He might curse a little bit, so it's right up our alley. Uh, who is that? It's Doug Jones. He's a managing partner of an insurance company based in the Gables called JAG Insurance Group, J-A-G. Uh, they have operations uh, in Coral Gables, and they also have an operation, I think, in Delray Beach. Is that right, uh, uh, Doug? Do I got that right, Delray Beach? Yep. And then you guys are? Yep. Yes, sir. Okay. And then where, where's your third location? I know you're out of state as well. In Charlotte. You're in Charlotte, Charlotte North okay. Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina. Makes sense. Home of all the banks. Perfect, <laughs> Perfect scenario. So, so uh, Doug, you and I have not met personally, although I've heard some good things about you, and I'm told that you are going to awe the audience. So let me sort of lay out the rules of engagement so you and the audience are clear. We're looking for straight talk and salty language, i.e. cursing. That's acceptable. I know you deal with a lot of developers, so chances are you're probably known as eh, curse a little bit here and there. So is that cool? You you, you fine with that? Absolutely. <laughs> My type of guy. Perfect. Now, what I'd like to do, Doug, is I want to I take up an hour of your time, and I know you're busy running around doing a bunch of stuff. Um, and by the way, happy end of hurricane season. We're recording this on December the 2nd. Hurricane season ended November 30th, which I and I'm told this is one of the most active seasons ever, ever, ever. So we'll, yes, we'll get into yeah. that a little bit after. So, so happy, happy dry season, if you will. Um, uh, I want to do three segments with you, first 20, uh, 20 minutes. We're going to talk about you, your background, what it's like being a unicorn, actually born and raised in Miami, and having a name like Doug Jones, which is very uncommon down here, believe it or not. Second 20 minutes, we're going to talk about what's going on currently in the insurance market. And in third 20 minutes, we're going to talk about what, sort of what's going on in the future. Now, insurance can be a little bit boring for some, all due respect. We're going to try to make it interesting. And we're also going to try to uh, help the, uh, the listener understand whether or not they are a professional, they're a developer, they're just somebody who's trying to waste time listening to my podcast because they love my beautiful voice. We want to kind of make it streamlined and, and easy for everybody to sort of uh, check out and understand. So, uh, again, you cool with that, Doug? Let's do it. All right. Fantastic. So after that long introduction, let me start uh, with the question I start with everybody on. Miami is a mixing pot. Um, you know, uh, if you look at U.S. Census Bureau data, 50, more than 50% of the uh, residents here are born in a foreign country. So, you know, this is a place where stuff kind of happens. I'm wondering, what's it like to actually be born and raised in Miami? And what is Miami like today versus what you remember as a child? Oh, wow. Let me tell you. Well, first and foremost, thanks thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. I think we're going to have some fun in the next hour. Um Growing up in Miami, living in Miami, listen, I, I think I don't I didn't realize it till I was older uh, and, and, and really ultimately began to feel blessed to, to grow up in what we have as a melting pot of South Florida. Uh, when I moved away for college and bounced around a little bit afterwards and came back home, it really helped me to realize that living in South Florida gives you an advantage to the to other people around the United States and that we're such a multicultural blend down here where you really get to know a little bit about a lot of different people. Uh, and I think as I talk to either, whether it's colleagues or clients um, around the country who have kind of been pigeonholed into this one environment their entire life, growing up in Miami is like growing up in 50 different countries, whether it's uh, food, language, culture, 
you really get to know how to deal with people from all around the world and appreciate the different spices of life from, from all around the world. So I, I, I feel definitely very lucky to have lived down here, um, you know, and, and, and have grown up down here. Uh, and I feel like it's, it's also helped me in my business life and, and in my personal life as a parent and a father, um, it, it's helped quite a bit. So I've, I really enjoyed growing up down here and I kind of feel bad for people that grow up anywhere else. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, Doug, let me ask you, your, your, your family, where, where do you guys uh, trace back to uh, any part, um, you know, up North in the United States or they've been down here for generations? Just, just a little bit so, of, um, you know, insight there. Sure. Believe it or not, I'm actually third generation born in Miami. Um, my, my dad, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, my dad's family was originally from Ohio. He was born in Ohio, moved down here, but my, my mother and my grandmother were born in Miami, but her family moved, uh, migrated down here from New York. But, uh, yeah, we've been down here for quite a long time. That's fascinating. Anybody who doesn't know the podcast called, um, uh, it's Miami history podcast. What I will tell you to do is, is, is besides listen to this podcast, which you should regularly, you should listen to the Miami History <laughs> Podcast. Why is that? Because there, there, there is a historian called Dr. Paul George. He's taught at the Miami Dade College for quite some time. He's written a bunch of books. He does a bunch of stuff. Basically, I don't know if people realize this, but besides LeBron James, the famous NBA basketball player who came from Cleveland uh, Cavaliers and came and played for the Miami Heat before he pissed off and went back to Cleveland, um, he's from Cleveland or from the Ohio area. Who, but who else is? Flagler. People talk about Flagler. Henry Flagler's name is all over. Uh, the state of Florida because he brought down the rail, which went all the way down the Key West and ultimately led to the development of um, of Miami being what it is. According to Dr. Paul George, Julia Tuttle, the family knew Henry Flagler from the days in Ohio, and she was the one who was able to convince Flagler to bring his train, besides uh, Palm, Beach County, uh, Palm Beach County as well as Fort Lauderdale, bring it down to Miami. And she actually gave him dirt in downtown Miami, where if anybody knows where the Whole Foods uh, grocery store is, right there in downtown on the north side of the river, that's where he had his Royal Palms Hotel. So there's a big Ohio connection as well as Midwest connection to Miami, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. So it's good to meet somebody from Ohio, and uh, do you have any relations to Flagler, Tuttle, or LeBron James? <laughs> uh well, I'll tell you, when LeBron left Miami and went back to Cleveland, he sold his home to a client of ours, so we uh, insure his old home. So that's my connection to LeBron James. Is that right? Unbelievable. You know, yep. it's funny. Um, uh, I, I, was, uh, I was doing my distress. It was distress days when LeBron uh, came down. Uh, what was that, like 2008, 2009, something like that, during the Great Recession, when he first signed with uh, yeah. Miami out of Cleveland? Something like that, right? Uh -huh. 08, 09? Yep. Yeah, so – so the Miami Herald gave me a call and they said, hey, um, you know, what would you recommend LeBron James should do in terms of buying a place? And people were talking about mansions and, you know, all the sell side brokers were like, oh, he needs this beautiful house on the bay, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, 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 no. The best thing he should do is our condo market was free falling at the time. I said, buy out the, the remainder of an entire building, give yourself a floor or two, rent out the rest. Anybody in your crowd who needs a place, give them an entire floor. And then when the market turns, you can turn around and maximize how much money you're actually going to make and invest down here versus what he did, I think, with his house. I think he lost money on his house or he did not. He wasn't in the black from what I recall. I don't know if you can shed any light yeah. on that. It, from what I recall, it was it was it was kind of flat. It was there was it was not a blockbuster trade. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Opposed to he could have bought condos at two hundred bucks a foot and retraded them for four hundred a foot. But it doesn't matter. He's good at basketball, so uh, we'll we'll give him that. Um, Doug, he's you, doing, he's you, doing all right. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely doing all right. Definitely doing all right. So 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 Doug, um, uh, you went to University of Arizona for a while. Uh, what took you out to Arizona, and how the hell did you deal with the fact that there's no humidity out there? 
<laughs> so actually, I was a I was a college football player. So I was recruited oh, to really? Arizona to play football. I was. Uh, I was actually a place kicker. Uh, and I okay. went to high school in Miami, was recruited out to Arizona, signed with Arizona my senior year of high school, moved out there. Was uh, Actually, the coaching staff that recruited me left after my first season, uh, and actually I took off with them, ended up moving from Arizona to Maryland to attend a junior college. Back in those days, you couldn't transfer from one Division One school yes. to another without sitting out. You had to go to a junior college. So I went to a junior college and then ended up back in Miami at Florida International when they started their program uh, with Don Strock, who was the original yes. coach at, at FIU. So I was actually – I was a junior on the inaugural team, uh, which was a fun time. It was, it was exciting to get a program started from ground zero – um, and also, also good for me because have a bunch of records in the history books for doing the first of some things. If I was not on the first team ever, I probably wouldn't be in the history books. But take <laughs> the first extra point in school history, first nice. in school history. Those nice. things you can never take away from me. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so you you go out to Arizona, then you transfer over to Maryland, and then you end up back in Miami. Um, uh, 2013, you start. Excuse me, 2005, you start working in insurance. Uh, how and why did you go into insurance? It's not exactly a lively topic. If you're a single guy, no. a bar, you're a football player, you can probably chat up to some people, but talking yeah. about insurance, uh, you know, I, I, how does that come about? So I'll, I'll tell you, my, my old man actually was in the business. Uh, so it was the one thing I told myself I would never do. And as I graduated college, I was, I took the LSAT and I was getting ready to go to law school. And I told my parents, I wanted to take a year off between college and law school because, you know, most people don't realize, but as a scholarship college athlete, you're essentially working a full-time job year round, whether you're in the weight room, you're in the study hall, uh, you're doing team activities. You don't really get an opportunity to party like your traditional college student would. And I wanted to take <laughs> a break and relax a little bit. And my dad said, Hey, you know, why you take the year off? Why don't you get your insurance license? And like, you know, play around with it a little bit. And um, yep. I got I, I got into the business and quickly realized that there was a massive generational gap between guys that were my dad's age and really nobody that was coming coming up uh, beneath them. And th those folks that were that were kind of in my in my dad's age range were, were kind of checking out slowly but surely and not as excited about the business as they once were. And I just yep. saw not a, a large amount of competition at least at the level that I saw myself producing at. Uh, mm -hmm. not, it doesn't mean that there weren't a lot of people entering the business, but perhaps without the sophistication or the attention to detail that whether it was selling insurance or making my bed or washing my car, anything that I try to do in life, I, I didn't see that. Uh, you know, I saw my dad had it, but I didn't see the younger people that, at other firms coming into it, and it got me excited. And so I never went to law school, and I've been doing this ever since. Wow, that's fantastic! And, and the firm you worked for was Weinstein Jones and Associates. And I'm assuming uh, uh, that that that's the firm your father was. Uh, uh, he was a partner in, or, yeah. or, or, or he was. He was. So my dad, my dad had an agency for 30 years in South Florida. Um, he had a partner, but my dad did, uh, and this went back to something that my my mom's family was in, which was horse racing. So my my father. Uh, specialized in thoroughbred racetracks, and as a matter of fact, wrote the insurance for every thoroughbred racetrack in North America. Really? Um, and that was that was his niche up until uh, just about 9/11. And what happened was 
imagine you're in charge of ensuring some of the largest venues in the country and then we have yes. uh, a terrorist attack like 9-11 and ultimately insurance companies be- became very wary weary of insuring uh, venues that just held that amount of people in one place at one time and he had a program that he put together what we call an offshore captive which was essentially an insurance company within an insurance company that wrote all of these tracks on one policy and uh, it, it kind of lost its footing after that. So after doing it for over two decades and essentially having an insurance program that nobody around the country could, could compete with, mm-hmm. although every year, you know, you're fighting with or you're battling against the, the, the track owner's friend who sells insurance or his brother-in-law or his college roommate, and they could never yep. compete with you. Now, all of a sudden, they could compete with you. And so over, slowly but surely over time, his program kind of went away, um, but it, and it was just about that time that I that I joined him, um, and but I never I never had any ambitions of of being that segmented specifically in the thoroughbred racing world. And speaking of thoroughbred racing, I don't know if you saw, but Calder Racetrack um, out there, right next to Hard Rock Stadium, where the Super Bowl was held last year, and where the Miami Dolphins football team plays and the University of Miami football team plays. They just shut down thoroughbred racing. It's done. They're talking about turning it into a highlight facility so they can still qualify to have the casino aspect on a um, on a piece of property that basically isn't controlled by the Seminoles or the uh, the Kessa. Yep. So I don't know if you saw yep. that about so, Calder. So, well, they were they were a client of ours for many many years, and yeah, and that's kind of where everything is turning to. You know, they're whatever they can do to keep um, you know paramutual uh, and gambling alive. Uh, with, again, mm-hmm. without having to be on a reservation, we're we're seeing yep. a ton of that. Whether it's them live streaming horse racing from another track, uh, but it, that's uh, that's kind of where everybody's going to. Interesting, interesting. Now, in so so, what was it like working with your father? And I'm guessing you learned a shit ton. And, and, and I'm, I'm assuming that's an industry term, shit ton. But you worked with him from <laughs> September of '05 to March of '13, seven years plus. Um, it must have been great, but it also, you know, I'm sure there was a little pushback too. It was, it was, I tell everybody it was the best 10 or so years of my life and the worst 10 or so years of my life. Uh, I, and I, and I sympathize with anybody who's going through that situation, but I also tell them that, you know, my, my, we fought the most. We were also never as close and uh, we, we will ever, we will forever have like what we've done together or what we learned from each other to, um, to talk about for the rest of our lives. But ultimately what happens is, you know, when you have the old guard and the new guard in mm-hmm. the same place and you have one transitioning out of their career and one transitioning into their career, you certainly use definitely butt heads. And I think it's, and I'm not saying that my father and I were, were the perfect case of this, but the only time that really, 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 really works is when you have a younger generation that's willing to listen to the older folks and you have uh-huh. the older generation that's willing to listen to the younger group. Because um, if you're not, you're going to get crushed because yes. the irony is it's actually the perfect storm. If, if you have two people that are willing to work together and willing to um, take ideas from each other, take criticism from each other, then you, it's really hard to get beat because you, you have all your bases covered. Now, if every idea the young guy throws out gets shot down and everything the old man wants to do, the young guy thinks is stupid or outdated, you know, then you guys are just going to you know, eventually drive apart from each other. Uh, but my, my, I'll never give my dad the credit that he deserves for what he did for me and he will never give it to me either. And that's probably why we're both as good as what we, at, at doing, uh, as, as we have been. 
because um, I think we just constantly pushed, have always pushed each other to be to be better. And the biggest driver of that was not allowing each other to be complacent or think that you've made it or think that um, that you're on the top of your game and always leaving that room for improvement. Uh, and, I, and I think that I'll probably treat my own kids that way. I treat the people, you know, our employees that way. You know, it's great. Uh, winning is amazing, but what's next? There's always there's always something else that can be done. There's always something you can do better for the client. There's always yeah. more business to be brought in. Uh, and 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 not being complacent is probably the the biggest lesson that I learned. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now in 2013, you decide to go ahead and launch a, a firm called Jag Insurance Group along with two partners um uh and that's where you're managing partner right now and you guys are still operating yep. you all kind of have their niches could can you talk about what brought that together how did you know these guys and uh sure. what the situation's been like um uh since uh 2013. so jag actually stands for jones alvarez gazetua uh my partner fernie alvarez and my other partner lewis gazetua lewis actually and i uh went to high school together and oh, wow. uh, then lewis played baseball at fiu uh, Fernie also played baseball at FIU. So as I kind of bounced around college and made my way back to Miami, uh, ended up running back into Lewis, who I went to high school with, and meeting Fernie, uh, who were on the baseball team. And since I was on the football team, you know, we were always in the sports facilities and in the weight room together. And so we all knew each other. Um, yeah. Shortly after I joined my dad, I was at an industry convention in Orlando, actually, and ran into Lewis. Uh, no, I ran into Fernie. And Fernie was a really good baseball player, was drafted twice by the Chicago White Sox. And, really? Uh, I, yeah, and I said, what the hell are you doing here? He was playing for exactly. the White Sox. And he goes, hey. He said, you know, it, it wasn't for me. You know, the road life wasn't for me. I wasn't enjoying the minor league system. He's like, and I retired, and I got into the insurance business. And I said, oh, that's funny. And he said, oh, have you seen Lewis? He's here. And I said, oh, you work with Lewis? That's weird. And he goes, no, he works at another firm. Uh, and long story short, within the next 90 days or so, we were all working for my dad together. Uh, and Jag amazing. was kind of, yeah, and Jag was kind of this evolution of wanting to change an ancient industry uh, and probably a little too progressive than my father originally wanted to. Um, <laughs> but whoa, 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 time out. So you, I, you're, you're saying you're, you're a disruptor? <laughs> So in, in our space, we're certainly disruptors, but, and we'll get into that a little bit more, but how we're disrupting might surprise you. Uh, I think we're, we're actually the anti-disruptor. I think uh, what, what we've done, um, and not to get too much in the business right now, but what we've done is really gone back to the, the, the original principles of customer service, um, okay. which, which ultimately lies on how do you treat your employees? How do you treat the people that are treating your clients? And so we, you know, we, we wanted to, we had this idea for JAG and something we wanted to do and something my, my father fully supported. And as a matter of fact, he was the one that really helped get us off the ground, um, you know, with, with, with capital as, as far as getting our first office open and doing everything we wanted to do. So we're, you know, we're, we're forever indebted to, to, to my dad and, and not just the knowledge that we got from him uh, and the lessons that we learned from him from the years that we worked at his firm, but also yes. monetarily helping us get on, get on our feet. And most importantly, what a lot of people fail to realize is when you're an insurance agent, the thing, you know, aside from the service and other things that I'm sure we'll get into that separates mm -hmm. agency from agency, are the access to different insurance companies, you know, not every agent can go to every agency, uh, excuse me, insurance company under the sun. You have to have appointments yeah. with some of these companies. And these yeah. co some of these companies haven't given agency appointments for decades. 
and we were actually able to um, acquire appointments with some companies, you know, the Travelers, the Zurichs, the Hartfords of the world, the companies that you, you even if you don't know nothing about insurance that you're, you're probably yeah. familiar with, we you were able to things. get contract. Yeah, we were able to get contracts with these companies when no other startup agency could. So that's that's you know those are some of the things that will always be indebted to to him for, um, and certainly help to to get the ball rolling into what we've grown into uh, Jag today. Now, and is your does your is is uh, your father still operates the firm? Has he folded into yours? What's what's the status he, of, um, of his? So firm? he's he's full he's folded into ours. He's okay. You know, I think most people most people would would say he's retired. But yep. he's certainly not. If you ask me or my mother, they, we'd both tell you he's not. But he's my dad, he, he has no, <laughs> he has no, you know, my dad doesn't have hobbies. He doesn't play golf. He doesn't fish. He doesn't yeah. hunt. He doesn't. So he's, you know, he, uh, he enjoys his life. He's got a lot of grandkids now, but when, you know, he's still, he will always have this in his blood. And when he meets somebody and they tell him what he does and the conversation always goes to insurance and it always yes. goes to what can the opportunity <laughs> turn to. And I, frankly, I think he'll do it until the day he dies. Nice, nice. And hopefully that's a long way away. Um, uh, I hope so, one too. more quick question related to the insurance firm. So you guys are in the Gables. Obviously, that makes sense. Delray Beach, which is in Palm Beach County, southern Palm Beach County, as well as Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, are your partners, are they, are they manning, uh, if you will, the offices there? Or how did the other two offices come about? No. So we're, we, we run our operation very differently than our competitors do. So Miami okay. or Coral Gables is certainly our hub. All of our service staff, well, I shouldn't say all, almost all of our service staff is in our Miami location. Okay. Um, as, we, as, as our business grew and we be, began competing with the national and multinational insurance agencies, uh, Willis, Marsh, Aon, uh, whether they're you know, uh, uh, private companies or public companies, our mm -hmm. biggest barrier to entry became name, name recognition to be honest yep. with you. Um, and so we began competing with m many of these folks that we would go into accounts or we would meet real estate owners or condo boards and they'd say, Oh, well, you know, we're with uh, Willis, you know, they're a, they're a multi-billion dollar company. We've, we've never heard of Jag. And what we realized was that although these companies are very large and they're all around the world, they have these, you know, lo their local offices are, are, are staffed with, you know, 20 to 40 people, um, you know, they have, uh, you know, 10 or 15 agents uh, and that the service that they were providing, we out of that local office, which if you're a condo on Brickell Avenue or Key Biscayne yep. and you're working with an yep. agency that their Miami office, you're not, they're not being helped by their New York office. They're not being assisted yeah. by their Chicago office. You're dealing with the Miami office. So our goal yep. was always, I want our hub to be larger than any one of these other major companies' local offices. So if you came to me and said, if I, if I went to a client and said, hey, who are you with now? Oh, okay, I'm with uh, Marsh in, in Miami. Okay, my office has more employees, more staff, more resources than, albeit they're a multinational billion dollar company, than the, than the office that you're dealing with. So then mm -hmm. as we began to grow and talk to, and, and get producers in other areas, we would set up shops for them to produce out of, but not necessarily to be serviced out of. We we concentrate all our servicing out of Miami. So okay. Delray Beach was a nat was a natural progression for us because originally 
My, my father lives in that area and he had a book of business in that area. So that made plenty of sense. So we actually do have some servicing out of there. And then yep. our office in Charlotte started because we have the fastest growing multifamily management company in the Southeast United States is a client of ours and they're headquartered in Charlotte. Uh, and we, they asked us to have a presence there um, because they have so many clients, which in turn became our clients. Um, and, you know, we have, I don't know, 15 or 20,000 doors in the North and South Carolina area that those clients needed our presence to be there because they in turn became clients of ours. So that's how that grew. Now we, we currently have clients in 38 states. So we have clients all across the country. Uh, but in today's day and age, you don't necessarily need to have offices in all those markets just because of how technology has progressed. And frankly, what kind of COVID-19 did to all of us, which will show us how the world can work remotely. It's actually been a huge blessing for us to realize our own strengths uh, and that we can even we can handle more than 38 states. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, I think that's a great um, summary. So, so um, we're, we're coming up to the end of our first segment. Let, let me just get two quick questions in before we go ahead and take our first commercial break. Uh, question number one, you prefer a Cuban sandwich or are you a media noche guy? Cause you like the sweet bread. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's a good question. Oh, uh, I, 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 I like, mm, I actually, I like panko lechon, which is pork sandwich. That, that's that's my personal favorite. I usually stay away from the Medianoche. Okay, you stay away from it. It's funny. I had the mayor of Durrell on um, a couple of weeks ago, and he and he's Cuban descent, uh, born in Cuba, and then came over. And <laughs> I asked him, and he said the same thing. And I said, Hey, I thought that was Puerto Rican or Dominican. He said, No, 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 no. The Cubans <laughs> do the lechon as well. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do it good uh, too. Yeah. Um, uh, final question. Um, uh, obviously, we, we're dealing with this pandemic, but there might be light at the end of the tunnel. Tunnel. They're talking about a new vaccine coming down the pike, talking about uh, hopefully anybody who wants the vaccine being able to be inoculated and uh, get that, you know, that stick in the arm uh, by April, May. So assuming restaurants are still existing and people are coming back to South Florida and they're feeling comfortable and they want to go check out a restaurant, do you have any go-to restaurant you might be able to suggest to the audience in terms of great value, great food, and a place that uh, you'd recommend they go other than the stuff that's just in the, all the travel um, uh, uh, you know, journals? Absolutely. So I think you have to go Cuban if you come to Miami. And okay. I have to recommend Sergio's restaurants. They're a client Sergio. of ours. Yes. So Sergio's is a client of ours. Um, and it's just good old fashioned Cuban comfort food. Um, it's quick, it's easy, it's cheap, it's good quality. And whether you're there for brunch on a Sunday or you're hungover late at night, you can't go wrong. And, and is there a particular Sergio's? Is it the one on Coral Way right on the, uh, on the edge of the Gables? I'm assuming because that's where your I, office I, is or do you go out west? So, so I, I, I go to all of them, but the one, you know, if you're gonna go to one, I'd go to the one, I'd go to the one on Coral Way for sure. Nice, nice. It's funny. A buddy of mine lives in a, um, so anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, it's about the 3200 block of Coral Way, which is a street that will connect you from the Brickell Avenue area to Coral Gables, if you don't want to get on, um, uh, you know, US1, if you will. So right before you get to the Gables on the, what, the south side, you're going to run into Sergio's. But right next to that is a tower that went up during the last cycle. It was built by a guy who basically lost his ass and lost the tower. And a buddy of mine bought a unit in there. And he moved into he moved into the unit. Lo and behold, he could smell Sergio's. You know, he doesn't have a view that overlooks it, but it's close by. 
So he says he's a regular at Sergio, so he would also attest to your recommendation of Sergio's over on Coral Way. So um, good, thanks, Doc. What, 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 why don't we go ahead? We're going to take our first commercial break, um, and on the other side of the break, I'm going to ask um, Doug about what's going on with Condo Association Insurance. Also, uh, ask him about what can we expect in, in terms of price increases. Uh, you know, 2021 and going forward, and also hurricanes. What does it mean if you're going to come down here, you're going to buy a property, and lo and behold, you need to get your insurance, need to get some insurance. What are you in for? What are some of the challenges? What are some of the opportunities? So stay tuned. We'll catch you on the other side of the break. Don't buy a South Florida condo, discounted or distressed, before taking a Condo Vultures correction tour. CondoVultures.com offers weekly bus and walking tours that focus on educating buyers on the how-tos of identifying discounted condos, analyzing the opportunities, and purchasing units. Every tour attendee receives a list of all condo projects in a particular market, a market assessment handout, and unmatched expert analysis. For more information on the condo correction tours, please visit condovultures.eventbrite.com or call 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski, having a conversation with Doug Jones. He's a managing partner of JAG Insurance Group. Uh, JAG is a uh, insurance company that he set up with two partners back in 2013. What do they do? That basically they're in the insurance business. We're going to get into some of the basics. What is insurance? How do you buy insurance in South Florida? How does it pertain to a condo and or a single family house? But before we get into that, I want to ask Doug a question. Doug, you were on scholarship to play college football. You were a kicker. Uh, give me some of the highlights of being a kicker in uh, Division One uh, college football in the United States. Not not many highlights, my friend. Not many highlights. It's a lonely world. It's a lonely world. It's a uh, it's 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 kind of a lose lose situation to be honest with you. So you you know you you prepare your entire life and you're sent out there at a moment's notice, and either you hit it and, and and that was what is expected, or you miss it and you're the you know you're the you're the the problem the problem child on the team. So it's a uh, it's a very thankless job, um, and frankly, I wish I was a little bit bigger and a little bit faster and a little bit stronger and could have done something else. Nice, nice, nice. So okay, another question. Typically, like if you're watching the end of an NFL football game, what you will have is the other team. So one team where the kicker's brought out to kick the winning field goal is going to go right as time expires. But before the snap of the football, lo and behold, the opposition calls a timeout. You ever been in a situation like that? Does that timeout, does that actually jinx you? Does it, does it screw with your head? Or is that just uh, it it's be expected? It does not. It's completely expected. Whether it happens or not, it doesn't. If you if you speak to anybody that kicked at least at the level that I did, Division One or beyond, uh, it's such a mental game that that you know somebody calling a timeout and giving you actually more time to prepare and calm yourself down is 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 a blessing. It's it's huh. it certainly works in in our favor. But like I said, it's such it's such a mental position that if if that's going to screw you up. You never would have made it to that position. Got it, got it. And then finally, kicking. How how did you get into kicking? You were a soccer player. You uh, what 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 was the interest or or the uh, uh, how did you discover you had an ability for kicking? So uh, yeah, I played soccer as a kid. That was certainly my first love. Um, and as I got into high school, I never played football until I got to high school. And I just I don't know what led me to believe that I could well. But uh, I, I got a genuine joy out of kicking a football to the point where perfecting that craft um, became all I ever thought about. And when my friends were out partying or, 
you know, doing stuff that regular, you know, the regular kid would do in high school. I just wanted to go to the field and kick, or I wanted to go early so I could wake up and go to the field and kick. And it was just, I was obsessed about it. Um, and, and unfortunately for me, as I got to kind of the tail end of my career, I lost that obsession for it. Norman suffered and that's where it kind of fizzled out. And as some of my, you know, teammates were looking forward to going to the next level, I just felt, I just fell out of love. Wow. 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 Interesting. Interesting. Well, you, you found a, a different love and that is insurance. So, so Doug, um, generally speaking, our crowd is all over the world. Um, uh, I think I was looking at the analytics and we were reaching like 25 countries uh, and areas everywhere from Hong Kong to Tel Aviv, from Buenos Aires um, up to Toronto. So generally speaking, um, insurance might differ in different parts of the world where some of our listeners are from. Uh, can, can you just give us the overview of about insurance? Um, how does it kind of work? Somebody basically has an asset. They want to make sure if something goes sideways, they don't lose everything they have. So they find a company who will, lo and behold, back it. And for a premium every month, that company's going to take on the risk. And most times, uh, that money is basically just pissed in the wind. But you, as the as the person taking out the insurance, you have the peace of mind. But on that in that occasion where where there is damage, lo and behold, the money you were paying in a premium now suddenly you know you're proven correct, and, and lo and behold, you're able to continue on with your your business and with your asset. Is that like a simple way to do it, or am I kind of missing anything? No, that's the basic principle. Uh, okay. Fortunately or unfortunately, what, what the reality is, is that nobody cares that much about their own stuff. And okay. what ultimately happens is whoever has debt on that property, whether it's a bank lender or a private loan, those are the folks that, that are forcing you to purchase the insurance to cover the collateral, to cover the asset. They're the ones that want to be sure that, you know, the shit hits the fan, that things are covered. And it's, you know, Generally speaking, the owner of the property, um, at least from a property insurance standpoint, could yep. they don't care as will never care as much as a lender will care. So we take almost all of our direction from lenders, and then our you know our clients have to grin and bear it and pay the premiums because their lenders require them to do so. I'd say if there were no lenders in the world, fifteen percent of our clients would actually buy insurance. One five. You think one five would? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Now, now for clarification for the for the audience, so if they go ahead and they buy a condo here or they buy a single family house and they take out a mortgage, so let's just make it simple. So they buy a hundred thousand dollar place. Good luck finding that. They got a hundred thousand dollar place. You get you get an eighty thousand dollar mortgage. If someone were to go to get insurance, chances are that insurance is going to be for eighty grand to cover the bank and the bank only. Am I correct, or would you get it for the entire value, the entire hundred grand that you, the buyer, have have uh, in theory have into that place? So it's actually neither A or B. It's actually C, none of the above. Huh. Uh, okay. Okay. It's, and this is actually a lot of our clients, when they come to JAG, have been paying more than they needed to pay for many years because they don't have an agent with the sophistication to push back on a lender uh, about the coverages required by, by the lender. And nine times out of ten, you'll hear a lender say, we want you to insure for the loan amount. Yes. We then go back to the lender and say, we will insure to the replacement cost, the cost to replace the property at 100% of the replacement cost. And oftentimes, especially in Miami, where, where dirt or land value is a, yeah. the largest component of a sales price or the market value, 
then the market value is almost always higher than a replacement cost. So we'll say, we'll go back to the lender and say, hey, you know, they paid a uh, hundred grand for the unit. Yep. You want us to buy a hundred grand of insurance. We will not. Yep. We will yep. do 50,000 of insurance because that's what it will cost to replace this unit. Here's the documentation to back it up. And 100% of the time, the lender will come back and say, deal. That is brilliant, and it makes all the sense in the world. Anybody who's listening to this podcast, I'm always talking about replacement costs. I did not know. I did not know. I don't know shit about insurance. I didn't know you could get insurance based on replacement costs. You don't actually have to get it for the value, which is going to be inflated because there's going to be a profit and there's going to be appreciation along the line from the time it was first built. And and most people in my business, you know, look, there's 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 a funny thing about the industry that I work in, okay? Yep. Unfortunately, every strip center that you drive by has a neon light that says insurance in it. That does yes. not mean that that person is qualified to insure your $100 million condo building or your billion dollars of apartment in, in your portfolio. We're not all created equal. And that doesn't yes. mean that the person you're dealing with is a bad person or a bad agent. Most of the time... Those folks, they're, they're just restricted by either their experience or the access to carriers that they have. You need Got to it. find somebody who has experience in what you do. And sometimes that requires you to tell your brother-in-law, I'm sorry, I know you insure mom's, but you can't insure, um, just because I got on the board of this condo, you can't take over the condo's insurance because you're not going to know what to do. And ultimately, as, as a member of a board of a condo association, you're personally responsible for the fiduciary, fiduciary decisions that you make on behalf of the association, and it needs to be done correctly. Got it, got it, got it. Now, now I do want to ask you, in real estate, and I have a real estate broker's license. I've been licensed since 1995. But in real estate, so if somebody wants to get a real estate license, they go and they sit for a 63-hour class. They pass, a, they pass a class exam, and then they pass a state exam where they're actually at a, uh, a third-party type of location. And then from that point forward, every two years, they have to do continuing education. So what I'm saying is it's very easy to get a real estate license. Uh, how difficult is it to get a license to sell insurance or to be a, a sell a insurance agent in the state of Florida? So when you went to that testing facility and took your test, you were probably yeah. sitting next to somebody taking their insurance license test. <laughs> so, so it's, it's, it's a little... Look, it, 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 it's a little bit more time-consuming. Ours is 220 hours versus the 60-some-odd hours you do in the real estate world. But ultimately, you know, there, there are people that are tremendously overqualified to selling insurance, and there are many people that have should have their license thrown in the trash that are selling insurance. Um, it, it goes both ways. So, yeah, it's, t it's difficult to get, but at the same time, it's easy to get. But frankly, like anything, and you may this this may ring true for you that your test uh, in the real estate test, the stuff you learn in those classes and that you take in that test, they're really not applicable to real life. And yes. uh, just because somebody has a license, albeit real estate or insurance, does not mean that they're qualified to handle anything that says real estate or anything that says insurance, including uh, you know, your brother-in-law. <laughs> including brother-in-law, and just like you wouldn't ask. You know, you wouldn't ask your cardiologist to do a root canal. You know, just because somebody's has doctor in front of their name does not mean that they're qualified to handle everything. Okay, okay. Now, now another another question. Remember, we're looking for straight talk, as straight as you can be. Um, in real estate, you eat what you kill. So if everybody, if someone gets a listing and they sell the property, they're going to get paid a commission. If they do not sell the property, they are not going to get paid. So sometimes it can be a little challenging to get a straight-up answer because the agent has something, uh, you know, something to gain. 
how, how does it work in terms of compensation on the insurance side? Just to put everybody's mind at, at ease so they have yeah. an understanding when they're talking about insurance, what, what exactly the agent's uh, you know, angle is. So it's, it's the exact same way. So insurance agents okay. are commission. Some of the larger firms uh, pay their producers a salary, okay. um, which for as a client, if you have a good relationship with your agent and they're paid a salary, Yep. And and more more often than not, those people are not even those agents aren't even compensated after year one on a specific account. You're always yep. going to wonder how much they're looking out for your back. You know, the, the eat what you kill mentality keeps everybody on their toes. So number one, yep. you have to find somebody that you trust. If you trust yep. them, then you don't have to worry about are they just trying to make me a sale. I can tell you one thing about Jack, about myself and my partners. We've told yep. enough clients for other clients to know that we're not going to play in the gray area. We don't cut corners. We will not do things to damage our reputation or to land ourselves in court. I will yeah. never go to jail. I will never be sued. We've been in, I've, I've never been in, involved in an errors and emissions lawsuit in 15 years. Ask yourself why. Because yeah. I will not do this. I will not do that. And I, thankfully, I'm at a point in my career where I don't need every sale. And I say that humbly, but I also say that because my clients feel comforted that. They say, they know Doug's not going to do something to jeopardize his reputation to make 10 grand or 20 grand. It's not going to happen. Now, yep. if you were talking to 23 year old Doug, that might've been a different story. And that <laughs> might be a different story for the people that have their license. But I can tell you that my reputation, our brand matters over everything. Yep. And so although we, we do have that, you know, they love the insurance guys in with the realtors, with the used car sales, and we're all kind of in this world where everybody looks at us through the corner of their eye. If you're able to show the world that your brand matters more than making that sale, yep. then you're going to win, and you're only going to get people that you know want to deal with you. And people do not call me anymore. Some of these people are close friends of mine, family members. If they're looking for the cheapest policy available, if they're looking to just kind of trick the bank into believing that this is legit, I'm not the guy to call. Yeah. And uh, it's we've taken a lot of time and effort in building that reputation. And frankly, we probably grow. I know for a fact we grow slower than we could because we don't say yes to everybody. But that yep. has echoed out into the community. It's loud enough now that people, they don't think twice about whether we're giving them what is really the best option for them. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Now, um, um, in, in, real, in the real estate world, and again, many people listen to the podcast, they're, they're tied to real estate. So in the real estate world, the, the real estate commission is typically 3% on each side. If there's a deal, if there's a mortgage involved, it's going to be a 1% on the loan amount. If there's a closing cost, which there will be, it's typically 1% fee. Um, what, what, what's the norm? I'm not asking you yours, and I know every situation is different, but in the, in the insurance business, what, what, what's sort of the percentage that the industry, and everything's negotiable, but the industry kind of works off of? Sure. So on average, the average policy is a 10% commission. 10%? And that's on the, on the one year one year of coverage, oh. or is that on the duration? Or I, how does that play out? So it's on an annual policy, on a one-year policy. On a one-year and policy. Then agents, okay. And then agents are compensated, depending where you work, between 25 and 50% of, of, of the 10% commission. That's coming in from the house. Okay, so JAG would collect it, and then from that, the agent would get their cut, which is 25 to 50%. Correct. 
Okay. Okay. Makes makes sense. And you know, and, and that straight talk is just, I think, what brings a lot of confidence. So, for instance, when you tell a client that, hey, we're going to go back to the bank and we're going to say well, you don't need under that scenario, hundred thousand dollar purchase, eighty thousand dollar mortgage. The bank wants you to uh, get an insurance for a hundred thousand. When you go back and say, listen, we only think it's worth doing replacement costs, which is sixty grand. So you're actually taking money out of your pocket, but I guess you're leveraging that. That's going to mean a long term commitment from that particular client, not only in that property but future properties. Is that sort of your mo? You're you're absolutely taking money out of your pocket, but when you look at your actual take home, whether it's yep. look, and when you look at the nitty gritty, right? When you're looking from an agent's perspective, we're talking yep. two to five percent of the annual premium. If I drop, if your premium drops ten grand, that's peanuts in an agent's pocket. So yep. I'm I am happy to reduce your costs as much as possible because it doesn't mean a whole lot of money out of my pocket. Now, in the same token, when we got like a year like this year, we have 30 hurricanes in one season. Premiums are going up. And clients yep. look at us and say, man, I can't believe you made our premiums go up. First of all, I didn't make your premiums go up. I'm a broker. I don't set the pricing. Number two, yep. I'm not flying away to Mexico and living the rest of my life on a beach because your premium went up 10 grand. <laughs> I made peanuts on the increase that you incurred. It didn't make yep. me feel good to deliver that information to you, and it didn't make me feel good to cash the check. Both yep. ways, so for, for us, because the margins are so thin, it's easier for us to deliver that information, good or bad, because yep. we don't really have a horse in the race. Got it, got it, got it. Now, now, um, uh, somebody who does sell insurance, and, and you were specifying, you know, sometimes you drive past a little strip mall, you see a big sign that says insurance, whatever the case may be. How, how does somebody go about figuring out whether or not someone is an expert in a particular category, let's say real estate versus, let's say healthcare versus um, uh, business interruption insurance. Is there, is there any way to do it? Is there an entity or an organization, much like someone with a real estate license can join a realtor association, and that's how the crowd sort of realizes, okay, these people are doing residential. What, what's the equivalent in your world, in, your, in the insurance world? So look, we, we have associations, but look, just because you belong to realtors doesn't mean you can handle a $20 million listing. Correct. And so if I had a $20 million house and I was interviewing you as my agent, I'd say, what are the last five $20 million houses you, you sold? And I think Correct. people need to do the same in my business. If you're, if you're on the board of a condo association and you got five agents that you're interviewing, let me talk to some other board members. Let me see what other in condos mine you have insured. Not a garden-style condominium in St. Louis, Missouri. What have you done <laughs> high-rise, coastal property? That's what I want yes. to see. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, so the track record is obviously going to be uh, very important. Now, now, when when um, someone comes to you for insurance, and let's let, let's go with that scenario: hundred thousand dollar condo, they get an eighty thousand dollar mortgage. They want to go ahead and they want to take out an insurance policy. What you're going to do is, is it much like a mortgage broker where you're going to tap into some of the different insurance providers? You're going to try to find the best fit based on on what the client has and try to bring the two parties together. Or what what, what sort of happens? What, what what what's the process in between behind the curtain? I'm sorry, repeat that one more time? Well, I'm just wondering, once somebody comes to you under that scenario of a $100,000 condo that they bought, they got an $80,000 mortgage, uh -huh. you, you, you then are going to um, you're gonna go to insurance companies uh, that provide okay. the actual money guys who, who are going to provide so, you insurance? Or, or how, how does that break down, I guess? This is, a, this is a loaded question, but I'll work through it as best I can because there's actually okay. different scenarios for, for – uh, different types of properties. Now, if you're buying a condo, if you're buying a condo unit, then yes, uh, more than likely your agent is going to have direct access to certain insurance companies 
that are going to release quotes to the agent directly. Okay. Now let's, and, and, and you might come to an agency like Jag and I might have, you know, a half a dozen or 10 options for, for your condo. Now, if you're a board member on that condo, and you know, let's say I insured your con your your unit, and you said, "Hey, I'm on the board now," and our association policy, with, which is you know, insuring the exterior of the building up to the drywall, yeah, uh, obviously a much much larger policy. Agents don't have access, direct access, no matter who your agent is, big or small, directly to the insurance companies that are handling, or that will issue a quote on a. $50 million building or a $100 million condominium building, there's a different process that you have to go through. Now, I don't know how far in the weeds you'll know, but okay. there's, we, there's entities called wholesale brokers. So every insurance company in the world either goes direct to an agent or they will deal with agents through an intermediary call, called either an MGA, a managing general agent, or wholesaler. And on the larger properties, everybody's going through one of these wholesalers there's about five large wholesalers in the world, and every agent is going to those folks. And that makes sense because of the exposure, the potential. If something goes bad, how much money is going to have to go out? It makes me think of uh, Hurricane Sandy. A friend of mine was a, uh, an adjuster. He had to go up to Manhattan after Hurricane Sandy came uh, blowing through uh, the Northeast and created all kind of flooding and stuff like that. And, and he was telling me some of, the, some of that stuff about that, so in terms of the dollar exposure. So, okay, that, that, that makes all the sense in the world. Now, um, in terms of condo associations, that's, uh, that, that's a business that you do. It's a business you're growing. Can you talk a little bit about that and, um, and sort of what your value-added proposition would be for an association member who might be listening? Sure. So the, the, the thing that we've built our business on, which is very different, is actually not necessarily at the, you know, we're, we don't really consider ourselves a sales organization. What okay. we've done is build up an in-house risk management department, you know, mostly with claims professionals and loss prevention and loss advocacy professionals that you would more often get from an insurance company, not from an insurance agency. So we'll go into a condo association we have a gentleman in our in our firm who's a specialist in reading condo docs to make sure that the condo docs the insurance portion of the condo docs are 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 put together correctly and make yeah. sure that the insurance that you currently have is in line and compliant with your 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 condo docs we also have you know we have workers comp specialists who will go to a property and look at different exposures for slip and falls or things that might hurt your employees um, and then we have folks in our office that will, um, um, it, it, God forbid you have any type of claim, which will walk your hand through the process to make sure that your, you or your entity or your association is getting uh, the proper representation throughout the claims process and that the claim is being handled properly uh, on your behalf. So our value add has been some of these areas where either an entity or an association may pay a fee or a consulting fee to a third party for some of these things I'm telling you about. Our yeah. clients get these services value add. And that's Got really it. what's been a, the big key to our success has been, you know, because if you work for a multinational company, you can't just mm -hmm. go out and hire non-revenue non generating employees, um, <laughs> you know, on a whim, you'd have to go through multiple layers of red tape and you're, 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 your regional vice president and the board of directors and blah, blah, blah. My partners and I can do whatever the hell we want. And what yeah. we decided to do was, was make an investment and take a risk in hiring these professionals that are going to help our clients 
in, in their real time of need and really hope that our clients see the value in it, and they really, really have. And, and, and so the audience is clear. Now, uh, typically when you have a condominium in the state of Florida, especially in South Florida, you're going to have a board of directors, which is going to be comprised of, and this is after the developer has sold out the units and turns over control to the actual residents. You typically have a, a board which is made up of three, five, seven, maybe nine, nine members, and then they're the ones who have to decide who's the property management company, who's the insurer, who's this, who's that. So I think what you're saying, Doug, in my terms, so I, and I just want to clarify, you're saying that you're coming in and almost offering a consultancy in addition uh, to the actual insurance for maybe somebody who's on a board of directors in one of these insurance associations, and they need to get insurance for the building. Would, would, would that be a simplified way, you know, dumbing it down for me to understand? It is, and, and, and that's just one portion of it, but you're absolutely correct. Um, okay. And, you know, we it's funny, we, we saw this uh, resurgence of the quote-unquote insurance consultant around the country, which what, what that told us was there are a large amount of entities, purchasers, clients, consumers who don't trust who they're working with, who felt the need to spend extra money to justify the decisions that they were making on buying insurance on behalf of their company or their association. We wow. go out and say... Our big pitch is, if you, if you feel the need to hire a consultant, find a new agent. You clearly don't yeah. trust who you're dealing with. Yeah, right. And <laughs> other <laughs> other values, uh, and the other value adds that those consultants bring, which is the claims advocacy, uh, the the policy checks, the things of that nature. We'll give you that too, and you're not going to have to pay for it. Got it, got it. When I can see the value add there. Now, now, quick question. A lot of times the association members, and I was on a board of uh, directors for a number of years um, for my kind of association, and uh, I couldn't, ha I couldn't wait to get off of it. Uh, by the way, so, but when I, when I was on the condo association, what I found is a lot of the steering. Um, uh, occurs by the property management company. Property management company, they might, by the way, they might happen to have their own companies that they set up to go ahead and vertically integrate kind of everything. Um, what, what, what's been your experience with, uh, you know, providing insurance for condo associations and our property management companies, are they, do they complement what you do or do they create um, competition? It depends who your management company is. And I don't care how much I like you. I'm not naming names. But I don't know. I'm not asking for a name. <laughs> There are, you need to be very careful about who your management company is and what is their relationship with the agent that they're putting in front of you. I can tell yeah. you for a fact, you can, you can Google this, you can look it up. Some of the largest management companies in the country have profit sharing agreements with insurance agencies. And they do not tell you this. You may see it in a dark corner on a proposal in very, very small print. Yeah. But I can tell you for a fact that some of the largest names in that business are steering their way, steering you to the people they want you to do business with. I've had instances in some of the largest condos in Miami where I was directly working with a, with a property manager, put out a proposal that I know was smoking, that wasn't going to be beat, still didn't get the business, only to find out that my proposal was never even given to the board of directors. Because of that, we will not solely do business with a property manager. I will, I, we have to have communication with a board of director or we yep. will not engage with, with, with the condominium because we, we saw this happen time and time again. Now, there are management companies in this town and in this state and in this country that have no such affiliation with, yep. uh, with, with, with agencies, um, but there are some that do and you have to be very, very, very careful.
Yeah, I would agree with you on that. So, um, and then let, let, let's sort of just uh, shift a little bit. We're going to say residential insurance. Now, can we talk a little bit about single family? Um, uh, is it easier, is it more difficult to get insurance uh, policy for a single family house versus a condo from an investor or a listener's perspective who's looking to buy um, uh, and own one of these houses? What, what, what would you tell them? What kind of advice would you have for them? Uh, right now? Is it, I'll tell you, the single-family home market is probably just as, if not more difficult right now than the commercial residential market, you know, commercial buildings, condos, apartment buildings. It's and, and it's becoming more and more difficult day in and day out. I think now more than ever, it's important to work with an agent that has as many options as possible because we're seeing that the appetite of these carriers in the res, on the single-family home side, the appetite yeah. is changing and tightening almost on a daily basis. You know, the way that analytics has entered the business, uh, much like you saw, you know, it entered baseball at one point. Yep. Um, yep. We're seeing these insurance companies almost deal with their capacity on a zip code by zip code basis. And you could see an insurance company that's been writing, com you know, insurance in the state of Florida for 10 or 20 years, stop writing in a certain zip code overnight, and then they could pop back in three months later. Uh, so it's, it, it is becoming more and more difficult to buy homeowners insurance and, you know, renters insurance or investment property insurance on a single family home dwelling, it's becoming challenging. Okay. Now, now if, so if, I, if I'm a listener and I'm, or, you know, I'm listening to this one saying, okay, so if I buy my house and I take out a mortgage, let's call it a $200,000 place and I put down 40 grand and I'm financing 160, what do I do? Does the bank set up the insurance for me? Uh, obviously, they're not going to give me the mortgage if I don't get the if I don't get the insurance for yeah, replacement costs. No. So, well, what happens in a scenario like that? Do I go to Citizens, which is the state of Florida's entity to provide insurance, as in terms of last you know results, or what? What? What would you? What would you? Okay. Think it's not. It's not. It's not. The question isn't. Are you? Can you find coverage? You can find okay. coverage. The, the, oh, you can. The question okay. is it's prohibitive. That's the question. So what, what I think we're seeing now, specifically in the investment side of things, is does this, does this fit into your investment plan? Does this drop your cap rate to a point where it doesn't make sense anymore? I think insurance was never really one of those expenses that drove that conversation, and I think right. it is now. Between, between your, your, the dwelling coverage, your flood coverage, we're seeing that this is now a driver of cost that you have to take into consideration, not just today, but the life of the loan, to see if this investment really makes sense for you. Now, now I'm gonna ask you a question. I don't think you can answer it, but maybe you will be able to. So um, on the condo side and on the real estate side, a lot of things break down to price per square foot. Like for instance, on a condominium, I can tell you um, your maintenance fee, which is what you pay to the association, is gonna be about 75 cents a foot per month. I can tell you your taxes on a $500,000 condo is gonna be about 83 cents per uh, square foot per month. I can tell you your rent is probably gonna be somewhere in the vicinity of 256 a foot per month. Is there any way to calculate, or is there a rule of thumb for insurance costs? So when somebody's going in thinking, maybe I should make an offer on a condo or a house, this is my ballpark back of the napkin uh, expense that might be coming down the pike with insurance. Is, is there anything you might be able to share with the listener? Absolutely not. And it's actually a huge mistake we see made like more often than not, and not just by your casual investor. We see yeah. this, this, this yeah. mistake made by some of the most sophisticated funds in the country. And it's funny, I, 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 di I did an interview, I don't know, six or, six or eight months ago, what was solely about not using the insurance figure on an ON you get from a real estate agent. Because, 
<laughs> the every property, single family home dwelling, warehouse, retail, condo, whatever it may be, it's going to be individually rated on certain criteria, specifically where it's geographically located and the, in the okay. building characteristics. Does it have a wood truss roof? Does it have poured concrete roof? Is it flat? Is it gable? Is it pitched? There are so many variables that would drive every single property. If you drove down yeah. the street, yeah. you would see such a, a variation of rates from property to property, despite the fact that they're on the same block, in the same city, with the same occupancy, that you could never make an assumption in a smart way that would make sense for you as an investor to plug in an insurance number. Again, I cannot stress this enough. You need an insurance agent like you have a doctor, like you have yeah. your go-to plumber. You need somebody that you can call and say, hey, Doug, I'm looking at this property. We're going to close in 60 days. I go hard next week. I need to know if this makes sense for me. Here, yeah. it's, This is a location. This is the year built. The roof was changed four years ago. Give me a ballpark figure. Then I can give you a ballpark figure. But if you just say, hey, look, I'm going to look at 50 houses in the next two weeks. What should I plug in for insurance number? You're crazy. Nice, nice. Well, you've been, listen, this is, I love what you're saying because it, it, re, uh, um, uh, it confirms what my take on things. I say a single family house is a work of art. A condo is more of a commodity where you can simply make adjustments based on, you know, the floor and maybe some interior stuff, but otherwise it's all kind of the ballpark. Would you agree from, a, from an insurance perspective, it's much, uh, you know, pricing in a condominium is probably going to be much similar rather than uh, a variety of houses on a particular block? Oh, absolutely. No, no, no okay. absolutely. Perfect. Especially, look, you take, when you're talking about an individual condo unit, you're taking yeah. a lot of variables out. Because keep in mind that the way the Florida condo statute is works is is that the association is responsible up to and including the drywall and then the condo unit owner is responsible for the wall covering in so you're taking out you know a lot of plumbing issues a lot of roof issues a lot of window issues because those are the the, the responsibility of the association so yeah you can give more ballpark figures for a unit if, if i'm stop me if i'm not answering your question correctly no, but no, 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 you, it's key cutter that on, that on. Okay, Doug, uh, let's go ahead and let's take a commercial break. We'll come back on the other side of the break. And we're going to talk about kind of what's going on um, in the future and maybe what you experienced right after the pandemic hit. So you listen to Kind of Vultures podcast. We'll catch up with you on the other side. Challenging times for real estate calls for experts that help you to navigate the new normal in the process of buying or selling property in South Florida. At CBA Realty, we listen carefully and advise based on stats, local knowledge, and experience. For more information, call us at 305-865-5859 or visit our website, cbrrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. I'm having a conversation with Doug Jones. He's a managing partner of JAG Insurance Group based in Coral Gables. They also have an operation up in Delray Beach as well as up in Charlotte. These guys are basically writing insurance related to real estate as well as condominium. Oh, excuse me, in terms of condos, single-family houses, condo associations, and other products. Doug, what other product do you guys do besides um, uh, real estate related? Whether it's a condo, it's a single-family house, it's a condo association. Sure. I'm assuming you probably do some commercial space, whether it be office, retail, uh, a warehouse, stuff like that. Yeah, I'd say about eighty uh, percent of our business is real estate related, whether it's okay. condo. Um, uh, retail, industrial, office, um, in, in that stratosphere. Uh, outside of that, our, our second, you know, highest concentration is probably in the transportation space, mostly in um, 
heavy trucking. So sand and gravel haulers, concrete manufacturers with mix and transit, uh, things that kind of also are in the real estate world that are involved in the construction aspect of real estate. And then um, after that, I'd say the hospitality space, whether it's restaurants, hotels, things of that nature. Okay, and, and in re- real simple layman's terms, because um, obviously, you know, people listen to podcasts related to real estate, but on the transportation side, you're mostly covering the, um, the, the person taking out or the company taking it out in case there's any kind of um, um, uh, problem created by someone driving the truck or the truck tipping over, anything like that, right? Or is, it, is, or is that insuring the truck, the actual damage of the truck if it gets into a fender bender? What, what, what would be like a, you know? So the truck itself is actually the, the 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 smallest exposure an insurance company will have. Well, you the biggest problem with heavy trucking is that those trucks don't stop very quickly. When you're carrying a you know sixty thousand pound truck full of sand and gravel, it could yeah. it could take you a couple yard a couple a couple hundred yards to stop. Yeah. So it's uh that's the biggest exposure is them hitting other people. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay, so you get in that. And then on the tourism side or the hospitality side, that's going to be related to the people staying in hotels around the swimming pool, the hallways, the lobby, stuff like that? Yep, all that, all that. So whether it's in the common areas, the pool, the spa, the lobby, the parking lot, the parking lot is always a big issue. Lots of problems happening in parking lot, whether it's potholes where people are driving into or falling into, or you have incidents in the parking lot, whether it's an assault and battery issue, a robbery, a theft where, you know, uh, you have poor lighting in the parking lot. That seems to be a big, big issue um, that attorneys love to go after when something bad happens, but yep, all that good stuff. (laughs) Okay. So quick question related to that. Every time I go into a condo building, I always see a sign or a mall. Hey, we're not responsible for the parking. Take your shit with you. And if you don't, something happens, tough, tough, it's on you. Is that reality? Or, or um, are, are these are these owners who are putting up these signs? Are they just trying to spook anybody in case they have an issue? Don't call me, call someone else. Uh, more or less, they're trying to spook people. You know, there's okay. uh, nothing stops anybody from filing a lawsuit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, interesting, interesting. Now, um, I, I do want to ask you something about what you said earlier about the condo association, sort of related to the um, uh, insurance. Um, uh, have you ever seen, or do you know, or is there a rule of thumb as to when somebody's paying a maintenance fee per month on their condo association? Um, do you know what percentage maybe of their maintenance fee is actually allocated towards the insurance cost? Because if you are on a board of directors or if you go to a condo association meeting, you always hear the reason their expense is so high is because of insurance. And I want to know, is that bullshit yeah. or, or, or is that reality? They love to throw us under the bus. But you know what? The <laughs> truth is that insur- insurance usually is one of the top three line items. You know, after your property taxes and some of the utilities, insurance certainly is one of the one of the, the biggest drivers. But if it's budgeted correctly and it's purchased correctly, it shouldn't be, uh, you know, a surprise to anybody. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. And then a couple more simple things about the real estate. And then I want to talk about the market. So if somebody owns their property, property outright, whether it's a condominium and or a house, are they responsible or required under any Florida law to go ahead and get insurance or can they basically go uh, bare and roll the dice and um, if something goes wrong, all the savings they have for a year, they go ahead and they, they take the hit and they, and they pay for it themselves. So anything required them to, to get insurance if they do not have a mortgage uh, and they own the property outright? Great question. Right now, no. But that's no. also uh, something in the Florida statute that has flip-flopped over the last five or six years Oh, like a couple dozen times where where condo unit owners have to buy 
um, insurance, and when they and, and then that, and then that uh, statute drops, and then it picks up again, then it drops again. Uh, and currently, right now, if you have your unit free and clear, you don't have to buy anything. You do not have to buy it. Okay. And then if um, if you do own a condo, uh, like many of the listeners do, and they decide they're going to turn around and rent it. Now, when they originally bought it, they bought it as a second home. They got a mortgage for a second home. Now, lo and behold, they say, you know what, screw it. I'm going to try to rent it because I can't go there as much as I want to. Are they required to or is there anything that would require them to get insurance? Or what would you advise them to do in case maybe they're, they're up at night thinking, oh, my God, what if there's an issue? I have to listen to this podcast. Do I need to get insurance? So what, what would be your advice to them? I'd say, well, look, if, if, if that's your scenario um, and you want to take the risk on of not insuring, what I tell everybody is, look, if you're, if you're talking about property insurance and, you, and you're willing to take on the risk of, you know, a water pipe breaking or fire starting in the kitchen and, and rebuilding that kitchen, that's fine. What you do not roll the dice with is liability. If somebody is going to sue you and you expect to have your defense, co- your, your defense costs covered um, or any settlements covered by, you know, by an insurance company, you, you have to buy liability insurance. And what most people don't realize is that the cost of that is extremely low. When you're buying, con- when you're buying insurance altogether, the, co- the meat and potatoes of the premiums is always going to be from the property side. You can buy liability coverage relatively inexpensively. So when somebody comes to me and says, hey, I have uh, paid off my, my, my mortgage, I don't want to buy insurance anymore. I say, okay, that's fine. But you still need to spend a couple hundred bucks a year for your liability. That way, if somebody slips and falls in the property and they sue you, you're going to have some coverage there. Don't play around with that. Got it, got it, got it. And, and to give people an idea, again, listener all around the world, maybe they know about insurance, maybe they don't, under our scenario of a $100,000 condo that somebody bought with an $80,000 mortgage, um, if they wanted to get, you know, soup the nuts, rock star, build it out insurance for this condo, what, what do you think they're looking for um, or what they're looking at annually in terms of expense? But ball, Oof, ballpark, and nice. obviously everything is different no, no, no. and things like that. Sure, sure, sure. So I, I got to answer your question with a question. Because uh, okay. it's it's somewhat of a it's somewhat of a loaded question, you know. Okay. Uh, even when people in in a condo want to buy uh, property insurance, the next question is: Do you, especially in Florida, do you want it to include windstorm? Do you want windstorm coverage included on that? That Let's is yes. the uh, okay. So, uh, Everything more, max it out on a hundred thousand square foot on a hundred thousand uh, dollar unit. And I'm just saying 100000 so they can do it proportionally because chances are the more you get, sure. the less it is proportionally. Yeah, you're, you're, and, you know, and if it's a coastal property, you're looking max yep. a couple thousand dollars. You're not, you're not looking – this is not a big ticket. This is yeah, not – especially yeah. in a condo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, this is not a big ticket. And, frankly, because the structure itself is covered by um, the association, we see many of our, um, our clients that own condos go without windstorm coverage. You know, for for the policy to for a windstorm claim to be paid on a condo unit, you got to take this in mind. A wind event has to knock out the window, and then the yep. wind needs to blow the water through the opening. The yep. damage caused by the water blown in by the wind is what's covered by your wind policy. So a lot of times when we explain this to our clients, and again, like you said before, I have clients that are willingly able and willing to pay a higher premium for a more robust policy. And I'm telling them, are you sure you want to do that? Yes. Because what we find, what our, one of our biggest value adds and the thing that is really the, the, the foundation of JAG is transparency. 
-hmm. And if you, we need you as our client to understand what you're buying. Nine times out of 10, frankly, probably 10 times out of 10, our consumers, when they come to us, have no idea what they're buying. They're buying because somebody told them to buy it, whether it was a lender <laughs> or, their, or, or their realtor or the title agent or their bank. That's, where they're, that's how they're making these decisions. Once we, we really pull the curtain back and show the clients what they're buying and why, they're able to make a more informed decision. Sometimes it saves them money. Sometimes they spend more money when yeah. they really understand what's going on. But it's, um, you know, are, are you going to buy windstorm on a condo unit? You, you, know, you, you want to think long and hard, but what is the possibility of you filing a windstorm claim? Is it worth spending? You know, oftentimes adding wind will double your premium, if not more. And wow, wow, wow. what we're actually seeing now is more and more banks not require condo unit owners to carry windstorm insurance when they close. Now, 10 years ago, you couldn't get away with that. But I think nowadays, most banks are wising up and saying, you know, as long as we're good, if a pipe breaks or if a fire starts, I'm happy. But the windstorm, they're letting them go without. Got it. Now, now, last question related to condos. I want to talk about single family, and then I'm going to ask you about going forward. And then we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. And thank you so much for covering out the amount of time you have. It's been fascinating. Um, so on the condo side, one of the issues people run into is that they go ahead, they, they, they buy into a condo. Let's call it 50 stories. Let's say there's, uh, you know, 300 units or so. Um, they're living in their condo. Everything is fine. They take out insurance. And lo and behold, there's a leak coming from up above, and it comes down and it damages <laughs> the roof. Um, so if they have their own insurance, does the insurance cover that type of scenario or is it on the association or is it on the, the person who has the, the place above you? Just kind of, you know, every situation is different, but generally speaking, what would you advise or suggest to someone who maybe is in a scenario like that or has gone through a scenario like that and how do they protect themselves against that? Because that seems to be one of the biggest issues associated with condos, uh, outside of a, obviously a hurricane. Man, you're full of loaded questions today. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, so first things first, when you have a claim, yes, we need to find the genesis of the problem. Where, what is happening and where is it coming from? Just because yes. you see water coming through uh, your roof, you need mm -hmm. to know where is that coming from? Is it coming from a pipe within the wall? Is it coming from somebody's overflowed toilet in the unit above you? Let's, let's kind of break this down a little bit. If it is coming from the toilet, of the unit over above you, it is their responsibility. It is if okay. it is coming from within the walls, it is the association's responsibility. Got it. Now, what we what we see happening more and more, and this is a big big problem. And if you own a condo, and you care about your neighbors, buy a liability policy, spend a couple hundred bucks a year for liability. Because what what happens is we're seeing we're seeing condo unit owners use the association's general liability policy, like a piggy bank. And wow. what will happen is they'll come in and say, uh, well, let me backtrack a second. If you have damage in your unit and you have a good, you have a good condo policy, what's going to happen is your, your insurance company is more than likely going to pay for the damages, and then they're going to go after the responsible party. Got it. So benefit, so. benefit number one to buy insurance. Number got two. It, got it. If you if it's your toilet if you live above me and your toilet overflows and you don't have to and you don't have insurance now as your neighbor I have to sue you in order to get something out of you. What happens more often than not is that we're seeing uh, the unit owner above has no insurance, so then the unit owner below who suffered the damage goes ahead and sues the association. Mm -hmm. Now whether this suit is going to go anywhere or not, 
the, the insurance company of your association is immediately going to incur costs to, to hire defense counsel. Yes. And so we're, you know, you're, you're causing, and then what happens is next year, the association policies and in turn, your dues are going to go up. Yep. So to kind of like bring this all back home, if you're in a, if you live in a condo unit and you want to be covered no matter what, buy your own insurance and then let your insurance company go after the responsible party. If you live in a condo, you need to encourage all of your neighbors to buy a liability policy so you're not filing claims against the association and everybody's own liability policies will, will, will take care of their own responsibilities, whether it's an overflow toilet or a sink pipe that broke. And then you can save that li the association's li liability policy for the things that it's really intended to pay for. Um, and, 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 and in those cases, you don't see the annual premiums for the association and your dues climbing up every year like we're seeing now. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, um, single family uh, house question. Um, I contend, and tell me uh, if I'm wrong, I contend that many people who are buying single family houses right now, single family house market is on fire. You have people who are living in high density situations like towers, vertical. They're now going horizontal in the houses because of space, pandemic, uh, germs. They don't want to be around high density situations, people. So what they're doing is they're going in the houses and many of these people they haven't had to deal with the insurance aspect because they lived in a condo and you and I have just discussed everything with condos. My point is I think there's a lot of sticker shock that people realize, especially in South Florida, when they buy one of these single family houses. Because the argument is always made, the reason I buy a house is I don't have to pay maintenance fees, but that maintenance fee actually covers a lot of the insurance. So can you sort of yeah. talk to, to the issue of um, uh, uh, insurance related to single family houses and, and what kind of experience you've had with maybe some of these types who've gone vertical into horizontal and how they're dealing with the cost of insurance. It's certainly sticker shock. And one extra layer of, of the scenario you just painted was that those folks that are living in the high rises down here generally mm -hmm. aren't from down here. And they probably yes. at one point in time lived in a house in Connecticut or New Jersey or Pennsylvania, and they paid three or four or 500 bucks a year for their <laughs> homeowner's policy. That's the yeah. biggest problem. And now they're buying a half a million dollar or a million dollar house in South Florida, and their homeowner's insurance is $8,000, $10,000, $14,000 a year, and they don't get it. It is what it is. If somebody's not prepping you in the process, shame on them. If your realtor or your friends or whoever is involved in the process with you is not telling you, hey, take this into consideration, then you need to find better people to hang around. Because I'll tell you what, if you're, just, if you're looking for things on Zillow, or, or realtor.com <laughs> and it's showing and it's showing you your projections and by the way this isn't just for insurance this is also the their estimation they give you for your property taxes and everything else talk to a professional find somebody who knows what they're doing you're not going to go and buy something else in life whether it's a car or you know another big ticket item and not look to see what your reoccurring costs are going to be the same should ring true for your home your insurance is going to be one of your biggest expenses. After your property tax and your mortgage, your insurance is gonna be your biggest expense of the year. Talk to somebody, find out what it's gonna be, get some estimation. That way you're not surprised at the closing table when you figure out that every year you're gonna to have to spend 10 grand when you were you know, spending three or 400 bucks a year on your old home or your condo unit. Uh, you shouldn't be surprised. If you're surprised, shame on you. Now, now you, you, your family's been insurance for quite some time. Your father obviously was, um, you know, he had a really successful business. Um, uh, you learned from him. You're doing stuff on your own. You've been around it. 
What advice do you have to people? Is it better to get um, to have a higher deductible and lower monthly payments, or is it better to uh, pay more upfront and a lower deductible? What would be your general guiding principle, assuming all things are equal? Great question. We call that risk tolerance. What is your risk tolerance? What can you afford to have to come out of pocket at the time of the loss? Uh, that's that's the number one question you have to ask yourself. Is it you know because especially in South Florida. Your bigger deductibles are based on percentages of the value. So three percent of the of the cost of the value, or five percent. Look at that number. Is it you know maybe 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 a three percent deductible you can't afford anyways. So just might as well go five percent and save a couple bucks. Look at what your <laughs> highest. Good point, right? <laughs> <laughs> look, it's it's a fa- it's the truth. Look at uh, you know look at the type of building that you're buying. If you're buying you know a flat uh, roof structure with a reinforced concrete roof deck. And you're, so you don't have, you don't have you know, the biggest storm isn't going to make you lose your roof and you have impact windows and your, your windows are going to, aren't going to get blown out. You got to ask yourself, what is the likelihood that I'm going to get a claim paid? I think more and more people nowadays are going towards higher deductibles because they're, they're realizing that the likelihood of a payout is going to be in a major, major catastrophe, major, major catastrophe. And so they're willing to take a higher deductible to save on a premium on an annual premium um, because they, even if a storm comes, even if you really get get rocked, the likelihood that you're going to get a payout is 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 low. Um, you know, I, I think more and more people are looking at insurance for catastrophic loss than they are just for your day to day loss. Oh wow! So so you're saying the mentality is if something comes through, I'm probably going to have to come out of pocket, pay for it. Therefore, I want the higher deductible. And then if the thing is actually destroyed, then I actually pay the deductible and I call it in. Exactly. Kind of like a car. Like some people say, listen, I get a little fender bender. I don't want to go to the insurance company because then it's going to mean extra exactly. future. So I'll just pay out of pocket. Okay. Brilliant. Exactly. Brilliant. Brilliant. And same, same range, same range true for your, you know, what, what they call your AOP deductible, your all other perils deductible, which is okay. fire, theft, water damage, vandalism, things of that nature. Look, if you have an opportunity to take a thousand dollar deductible or a $10,000 deductible, thousand dollar deductible sounds great. But if you have a thousand dollar loss, are you really going to call your insurance company? Are you really no. going to file a claim and have that on your history? That way your premium goes up the next year? Probably not. So we're seeing more and more consumers take higher deductibles really around that range where they, it would trigger them to file a claim in the first place and take, it, take advantage of the premium savings. Now, now, many industries in South Florida have been devastated by the pandemic, especially those related to tourism and or uh, restaurants. Um, I would suspect, well, I'm guessing maybe your industry is one that has benefited simply from the fact that so many people are, are going through that scenario and buying single-family houses to get away from the high-density type of situation. You also have a number of people who are leaving New York and fleeing the Northeast and coming down here for quality of life because the pandemic's putting things into perspective because, you know, 265,000 dead and, and counting and things like that. Um, can you give us some perspective in terms of your business as well as the industry? What was happening before the pandemic broke, and let's call it um, April, just for simplicity, and then what's business been like since April uh, for, for JAG sure. Insurance Group? Sure. So, look, it, it's yes, people are moving down here. The housing market's been on fire, but the truth is there aren't more homes here than there were before the pandemic. So we don't have more clients. They're, they're just clients are swapping in and out. So that, from that perspective, it hasn't really been a benefit um, to, to our firm. What we've seen is, you know, a large part of our hospitality base has been devastated. So whether hotel owners, restaurant owners, nightclub owners, they've either shuttered their doors or they've had, you know, close to nothing revenue 
uh, over the course of 2020, which because most of the policies that are bought in the hospitality space from a liability or a workers' comp perspective are either mm-hmm. payroll-based or based on sales, we've seen premiums go down. Um, so that, you know, that has obviously been a negative. It's been, we have, as a company, been fine, but it's been hard for us to watch our hospitality clients struggle because, look, we're, yeah. a, we're a boutique firm. You know, what makes me different from our competitors is that we actually give a shit about our clients. Yeah. And so it's been hard to watch our clients go through that. But as a firm, uh, we were prepared for this. Uh, I'd say in the middle of February, my partners and I became, started to become concerned about, uh, you know, what we were learning about this virus. And I think it was the last week of February, we went out and bought laptops for every single one of our employees. Wow. Some people thought we were jumping the gun. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, it, it was for more than one reason – uh, really set us apart from everybody else. Number one, most of our employees, and I really haven't gotten into this, but the life of my firm are our employees. What makes me different from everybody else are my employees. Mm-hmm. I care about my employees more than I care about my clients. I'll say that again. I care about my employees more than I care about my clients. And most people think that I'm absolutely nuts for saying that, but let me yeah. tell you something. I am not the one that deals with my clients every day. It is my employees. And if you want the best service, you will thank me for treating my employees the way that I do. Because the way we treat our employees is the way that they treat you as our client. Now, if you're a client of mine, you can call me whenever you want. We can be best buds. I will push the market to get the best quote. But when you need an insurance certificate or you need an endorsement or you need us to talk to one of your tenants, whatever it may be, it's my staff that you're dealing with. And the reason that you get the service that you get from JAG is because of the way we treat our employees. So ultimately, late February, what happened with us was most of our employees are parents. What we quickly realized is that almost all of our employees use school as some form of child care. Yep. And when we started to get hear rumblings that schools may be shut down or that schools are being shut down overseas, I told my partner, I said, guys, if they shut schools down, what are our employees going to do? What are they going to do with their kids? They can't can't just leave them at home. So we went out and bought 50 laptops. Now, buying 50 laptops in February and buying 50 laptops in June are two different things. You You couldn't find 50 laptops in June because everybody else was doing the same thing we were doing months earlier. That's right. Ultimately, what happened with us was we got the laptops in time to allow our IT department to plug everybody in, get everybody set up. And the minute that Miami-Dade County Public Schools shut down, our employees all had and were set up from home with laptops, Internet access, and remote uh, phones, dial their office, ring from either their cell phone or from a different line in their house. Nobody missed a beat. Our clients didn't realize we weren't working in the office. And we actually shut down the first week of March. We were closed. Most of our clients didn't even realize it. Um, and for us, really set us apart because all of our competitors then were playing catch-up. Where then, yeah. hey, a lot of, you know, their clients were getting voicemail systems. They weren't getting their emails returned in a timely manner. And we really, really never missed a beat. And it not just set us up for, for, for the months that would come with COVID, but also looking into the future, whether a storm is approaching um, you know, or, or schools are shut down for whatever reason, 
our staff is not prepared to work either from the office or from their home, from the road, from a Starbucks. At a moment's notice, at any time, we are now prepared. So we were prepared when we needed it at the end of February and early March, and we'll, prepare, we'll be prepared in perpetuity uh, for anything that may come up. But that is really what, what set us apart. Wow. Um, Doug, my last question for you is, um, uh, obviously, we're in December. We're coming up to the end of the year. You've obviously put together your budget and you have your expectations for 2021. What can you, um, what, what are you forecasting for 2021? Why don't you tell us what you guys think will play out in terms of the pandemic as well as what, what is business likely to be like um, in 2021 for your industry? Are single family houses, they're going to remain hot? Is business going to be just as active? Do you see anything changing? Well, what, what say you for 2021? So look, 2020 was a record year for JAG. Uh, while we watched uh, many, many businesses specifically in our industry fold or sell off to larger uh, companies because they just couldn't make it, uh, we grew we, and we grew substantially. Uh, and we are gonna keep our foot on the gas and we're gonna continue to grow because we take risks that other people aren't willing to take. And we did that earlier this year and we're doing it again now I'm beefing up for 2021 to take care of more clients than we ever have. We're ready to take on uh, folks, whether they're listening to this podcast or they don't know who I am or people that I'm going to meet in the near future. We're willing to take on the people that are in the real estate business that are tired of dealing with the same insurance experience that they did and their parents Mm -hmm. did and their friends do. Um, We're ready. We're going to grow. We're going to grow. Uh, substantially in 2021 and we're ready to do so and we're going to do it the same way we've always done it good old-fashioned customer service we do not have a special sauce we do not have a special recipe we don't know anything that nobody else does what we know how to do is answer the fucking phone respond to emails (laughs) in a timely manner take care of people the way that you're supposed to be taken care of the way that I would want to be taken care of it's as simple as that you'd be blown away People ask us all the time, you know, we were, we were just named Agents of the Year by National Underwriter Magazine. It's the biggest publication in my industry um, over, obviously, you know, Fortune 500 companies. And people ask me all the time, how have you guys grown so fast? How have you gotten so large? How has your footprint gotten so large? How, how has all this happened? And my answer is always very shockingly simple. We answer the fucking phone, right? Mm-hmm. We, you know, we don't know all the answers, but if we don't know, we don't bullshit you. We got enough people in our firm now that somebody's got the answer. And if I got to hang up, ask somebody else and call you back, I can put my ego aside and do that for you. And we will get it back to you. And whether you're driving a truck, you're building a condo, or you're a lawyer at a law firm, we can help you out. We know how to get the job done. We're the best quarterbacks in the business. We're going to keep doing that in 2021. We're going to keep growing at the pace that we've been growing and helping people one client at a time and letting other people do our marketing for us by telling their friends and family and their acquaintances that you got to call these guys at JAG because it's just a different experience because it just is. And, and Doug, how, how do they get a hold of you? What, what do you recommend to the listener? Keeping in mind, some of them might be overseas. Sure. So uh, believe it or not, we have the largest social media following in our industry, uh, even against the fortune 500 companies. Look for us on social media, whether it's Instagram, LinkedIn, at JAG insurance, Facebook, Twitter, uh, we're on all of them. TikTok, you can find us everywhere. It's the simplest and easiest way to get a hold of us. Our website is www.jaginsgroup.com. You can check us out on our on our website. You can call our number, 305-842-3600, although not a whole lot of people do that anymore. But you can uh, 
I'd say social media is the best way that we, you know, we can show prospects uh, behind the scenes of who we are as people, how we operate our business, and how we'll take care of you as a client. And if somebody's old school and they like that uh, thing called email, um, what, what would be your email address? It's uh, D Jones, D as in Doug, J-O-N-E-S, at JAG, I-N-S group.com. I want to thank Doug Jones for carving out time out of his day to have this conversation with us. I asked a bunch of simple questions, but the idea was to help to bring some clarity to the insurance industry, which not a lot of people understand. And it, what everything Doug said to gives you an idea why. So I would encourage you, if you're looking for insurance, if you own a condo, maybe you want to reassess what you're insuring. Give Doug a call. It sounds like his people are there to uh, help you. So that's Doug Jones. He's the managing partner of Jag Insurance Group based in Coral Gables, Florida. I want to thank him. I want to thank you, too, the listener, for um, making it your way through this podcast. If you're not yet a subscriber to our podcast, please go ahead and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you like what we're doing, give us a rating and leave a comment. The more ratings and comments we get, the, the better the likelihood is that we're going to go ahead and spread our message, which is bringing clarity to an overhyped real estate market. And then finally, if you have a comment for me, send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y, at condovultures.com. I'm Peter Zalewski. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong. We'll get through this pandemic, and we'll catch up soon. Ciao, ciao.